Right in the heart of KL lies a hidden gem, a sanctuary according affordable luxury and incomparable conveniences. Chambers Kuala Lumpur, freehold service apartments with an option for leasing service. From studios to two-bedroom options, all units are semi-furnished with fully fitted kitchens, washing machines and more. Best of all, it's just a short walk to the LRT, Sunway Putra Mall and PWTC. Visit chambersresidence.com.my. Chambers Kuala Lumpur by Matrix Concepts. Nurturing environments, enriching lives. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury and welcome to Matt's Plained. What's your boredom worth? It's a question that retailers and marketers have become increasingly interested in during the pandemic as they jockey for access to captive audiences. One person who has never had a thought he didn't think was valuable is Mr. Matt Splain, Matt Armitage. Another uh, boring episode ahead, Matt. The most boring, I hope, and you're very, very uh, on the uh, on point with that. I've never had a thought that wasn't valuable. Uh, if you got one of my thoughts in a Christmas cracker, that would be the best gift of your life. But we are wow. all bored. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had uh, a lot of trouble uh, writing and researching the notes for this episode, mm. largely because I was bored. I spent a lot of the time that I should have been researching talking about music streaming quality with my friend Yi before we started concocting conspiracy theories about Facebook. I noticed that. Which, of course, yeah, which, of course, we did on Facebook because, you know, we're self-aware souls. We understand the irony. Sometimes it's the only thing that we have Mm. because 12 months into the pandemic, we're fresh out of inspiration. We're fresh out of energy. You know, we resent the platforms and the companies that we rely on to entertain us. And some people have disappeared down, you know, those holes marked Q and descended into other conspiracies. I'm lucky, you know, I'm obsessed with trashy reality TV. So YouTube still has about three lifetimes worth of content to serve me before I have to go down those rabbit holes uh, to stay watching. Um, You might still be pushing it, though, with a a show about boredom to to an audience that's bored. Well, I don't want to get all meta about it. Um, Back in 2015, before this show was Matsplained, but when I was very much still Matsplaining, we did a, a series of shows about the benefits of boredom. We talked about some of the ways that a digital detox and uh, regaining the ability to do nothing can actually be beneficial to us, uh, both physically and mentally. So things like taking a walk without your phone, uh, simple things, you know, sitting, staring at a lake or the sea or as nice a view as uh, you have access to because it allows us to switch off and reduce that mental load to kind of turn away from that tide of digital information. And you didn't expect it to turn into a lifestyle. Well, although some experts predicted that there would be a pandemic or pandemics on this kind of scale during our lifetimes, I think very few of us could have imagined how much of our life would be curtailed and in the ways that it would be curtailed. For a lot of us, rather than detox, you know, we've gone the other way. We invented doom scrolling, hence the spread of these awful conspiracies. But um, going back to your comment about boredom, yes, we're bored, we're tired, 
And sometimes these are separate things. Sometimes they're related. Sometimes we're tired because we're bored. And the other times we're bored because we're tired. See, isn't that nice? We're finishing each other's sentences like a proper couple. <laughs> uh, where we have this, this convergence of the two, we have this potential for what some health experts are terming pandemic burnout. So mm. more of that later. But first we have this slightly bizarre idea. And this is that idea that uh, we can commodify and quantify boredom. And it's the notion that companies have started to measure and put financial values on that boredom. And eventually we may see a tracker, an actual boredom index, emerge as an economic indicator and tool. Would that be a, a distinct phenomenon? Isn't it just a, another form of instant gratification? Well, it is to an extent, but it's uh, an extension and a refinement of the model. In the old pre-pandemic days, there may have been a few touch points during the day when we were more susceptible to, you know, that hovering one click to buy finger where we mm. just needed that, that little bit of a push. The pandemic has introduced a lot more potential touch points into our days. For example, the kind of enforced downtime that many of us traditionally had, like that time we spent commuting. Uh, look at the ways that advertising developed to target us during those journeys. It was spot ads on ways, geo-targeting for online ads so that, you know, if you were on the, uh, the train, you'd get specific ads in specific parts of town, as well as the more traditional out-of-home digital and print billboards that you see along the sides of the roads. Mm. And of course, things like radio ads. So even the signage and products marketed by stores in high traffic locations on the way to and from those public transport hubs were geared around the, the commuting. Mm. So it was a real mixture of uh, marketing wisdom, a mixture of the old and the very new. And those have disappeared? Well, to an extent, you know, commuting was great for marketers because it was predictable. It happened within certain time periods that related to the working week. Now we're at home a lot more. Our movements are less predictable. But that doesn't mean that we're less predictable. Our actions are still predictable because of the nature and purpose of boredom itself. As a distraction? Well, yes. As we said, being bored has benefits. It can help to boost productivity, for example. Uh, taking a break, distracting yourself can help to, to clear your head, clear your mind. It allows you to come back to that challenging or mind-numbing task with a, a clearer head and perhaps a, a touch less pessimism. The kind of boredom we're experiencing now, though, is very different. If you think back to the old days and the things you used to do when you were bored, as I said on our movie-themed episode, uh, for me, cinema was my escape. Mm. And I'm lucky. I live very close to a number of movie theatres, but those activities are mostly closed off to us at the moment. You know, the same with visiting museums and galleries, gatherings at restaurants and other public places. A lot of these things are restricted or outright banned. So we're going back to the same sources of entertainment and information all the time, the streaming services, the news feeds, and we're endlessly scrolling for something new and something to divert us. And this is where brands are jumping in. Yeah, because often those feeds aren't giving us anything new. I mean, I don't know how often you've clicked refresh on the front page of your YouTube just in the hope that it'll give you something <laughs> interesting to do for the next five minutes. Mm. But brands can at least 
activate those reward receptors. So it might be a fun product video. It could even just be an engaging slogan or line. Where we are now is very much in the realm of personalized ads. You know, we're talking about services that learn our digital habits. Uh, I'm old school. These shopping apps know to target me with notifications at bedtime <laughs> because that's when my defenses tend to be lowest and my susceptibility is highest. So that's the highest conversion time or conversion rate period for me. I probably shouldn't be telling that to an audience of marketers on radio, but I guess it doesn't matter because I'm already broken. <laughs> so how does that gel with the kind of experience that many retailers and service providers have had over the last 12 months? Well, obviously, this is not an even playing field. It's not a global success story. You know, we all know that the last 12 months have been financially devastating for hundreds of millions of people, for millions of businesses. But it has been very good for others. We've talked about some of those growth sectors here on the show, the booming delivery-based and logistics companies, distraction apps like Clubhouse, cloud computing services, meat substitute products, furniture and interiors, streaming services, and of course, games. A New York Times article that put me onto some parts of this subject called The Boredom Economy by Sydney Ember also lists some other maybe less expected boom sectors, certainly in the US at least. Uh, there were shortages of yeast, due to a sudden spike in uh, home bread making. And mm -hmm. the gardening industry has seen such an explosion in demand that Scott's miracle Grow ran its first ever Super Bowl commercial this year. So a few companies, often very large ones, have had a very good 12 months indeed. For those organisations, boredom is great for business. Is there an argument that boredom is um, a pandemic luxury? Well, that's part of the discussion that we'll get to after the break uh, in relation to that idea of pandemic burnout. But yes, mm. to be bored, you have to have time to be bored in. So yes, you can be bored at work, but by and large, the people who still have to go to physical workplaces, retail assistants, factory workers, delivery folks, warehouse workers, F&B staff, all kinds of frontline workers... If you're lucky, you get to be bored standing around in a store that doesn't have very many customers when you're not trying to sanitize everything that the last customer just touched. But most likely, you're rushing every working hour to make ends meet, to care for those in need, or worse, to meet the demands of implacable bosses and ceaseless consumer demand. Uh, watch the meatpacking episode of uh, John Oliver's Last Week Tonight if you want to get a taste of what that might feel like. So yes, in some senses, you might be lucky if you get to be bored. So in other words, boredom comes in many flavours. Yeah, if you've got the kind of boredom that can be cured by playing Monopoly with a housemate, partner or family member, then that's one thing. But there's also the boredom that comes from isolation especially for people locked up in tiny rooms or apartments. You know, there's that social isolation aspect. Mm. So we're also seeing this boredom manifest and fuel a self-destructive behaviour, which, of course, also has economic impacts and consequences. It might be something as simple as uh, ordering entire cakes, where once you ordered a slice, and of course eating them in the same amount of time. Guilty. Or in yeah, exactly. Or impulse buying tchotchkes to make yourself feel better, even if it's just for that instant. Certainly, there's been an effort by many online retailers to speed up their delivery services. 
because the shorter the time between checkout and receiving the goods in your hand, the more likely you are to click buy. If it says it's going to deliver today or next day, you're going to click buy. If it says you're not going to get it for four weeks, then maybe you'll think Mm. twice, especially when it's an impulse buy rather than, you know, a considered purchase or something you actually need. All right. Uh, And when we come back, when boredom distorts markets, you're tuned into Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, the business station. Brave Finance Managers, BFM 89.9. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is BFM 89.9. Of course, it's Matt Splain, and I'm Richard Bradbury. And uh, before the break, um, we were talking about the boredom index and, and looking at the way our inactivity is shaping consumer behavior. Matt? Well, boredom doesn't have to be all about inactivity. You know, things like bike sales have soared. One of the accusations that has been levelled at a lot of COVID-related SOPs around the world is that they inadvertently benefit big superstores and disproportionately weigh against specialist chains and independents. For example, uh, bike shops and clothes stores are closed in many countries, yet big box supermarkets allowed to open because they retail fresh food Mm. often sell everything from electrical goods to sportswear and bikes to fashion and hardware. So there's been an argument that some countries are effectively creating new monopolies for the retail of a lot of consumer goods Mm -hmm. and where there are gaps we've seen all sorts of ingenious gray markets spring up i think i mentioned last year that i ended up buying hair clippers from a locally based company that somehow imports (laughs) them from canada yes you did and they all seem (laughs) yeah and they all seem to be amazon or other e-commerce site returns or repacks for the most part Because, you know, it was impossible to buy hair clippers at local retailers through most of last year. It might still be. I I don't know. I haven't checked for them recently. Mm. But yes, you know, to your point, boredom is reshaping a lot of our behavior. And as I mentioned before the break, that self-destructive element and that appetite for risk is also becoming a lot more evident. Hang on a minute. Uh, Are you going to tie the GameStop and the whole Wall Street bets thing to the boredom index? I'm going to give it my best shot, but I wouldn't invest. I knew it. Uh, So uh, this is something, again, I picked up on in the New York Times piece that I mentioned before the break. So the piece argues that in some ways, the boredom index would be an adjunct to an already established and well-used gauge, which is the consumer confidence index, which is a bellwether that helps to gauge optimism about the future. The boredom index would give a more nuanced or maybe even warped vision of current consumer sentiment. Um, I imagine they include you as a negative variable, right? I've always seen myself more as an error term. Uh, At least that's what my family always told me growing up. Uh, But uh, certainly there seems to be an element of boredom of piling on for the fun of it with some of the Wall Street bets, posts and predictions. Uh, And again, that's come about as a result of this unique confluence of conditions. A sizable number of people who lost their jobs have turned to the risk-filled world of day trading to make money, Mm. to make a living, which itself has been made uh, possible or made easier by a new generation of trading apps that offer transactions with low or no fees like Robinhood. So you have this brand new consumer class of investor 
and they're not following investing norms. They're picking up tips on what stocks to trade well away from those established and mainstream sources of financial information. You might even argue that they're um, conspiring to distort markets. Well, choosing my words carefully here, the big trading houses have always used their size and their market share to gain every advantage they can. That could be something as straightforward as locating their own servers as close as possible to the exchange's servers in order to gain advantages of microseconds in making trades. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, that's not something a, a small investor with a few hundred or thousand dollars to invest can independently benefit from. So there's this fine line between what constitutes a conspiracy and a bunch of people on a publicly visible subforum deciding they're all going to jump on a stock and drive its price up. So GameStop was the most evident that we've seen so far. Mm. But there have been other stocks that have seen less meteoric rises as a result of these similar uh, herd activities. Mm. And we've seen similar fluctuations in the demand for crypto assets, although uh, we won't mention a, a certain tech billionaire who has also been lending his name to some of those activities. Now, I'm not a market expert. I'm not a lawyer. To me, it looks like the little guys behaving like the big guys and the big guys really hating it. But, you know, I'll have to let somebody else decide which group is acting more ethically or legally. Right. Um, so how does this link to the boredom and the uh, self-destructive behaviour? Well, partially because of the motivations that you see on uh, these forums. So taking the GameStop example, some of the investors, from their posts at least, seemed to enjoy the fact they were upsetting the short sellers as much as they enjoyed their own financial gains. But other people are literally betting their shirts. Mm. There was an episode of uh, Planet Money on GameStop a few weeks ago that interviewed a guy who had poured everything he had into buying shares. His house deposit, some of his pension fund, everything went into GameStop shares. Now, he put, uh, I think, over $200,000 in. And of course, he won big. So you're concerned that boredom is pushing people to take risks that they don't really uh, understand? Well, yeah, that guy I mentioned, he works within the financial industry. So he has a lot more knowledge. Right. But those new small traders, you know, they're more likely to come in at the wrong end of the curve mm. because they're just following the, the herd. They'll be buying near the peak and they can potentially lose everything they put into it. And as I said before, you know, there's a growing number of people who lost their jobs and are trying to use day trading to feed their families. So they're not risking money they can afford to lose. So certainly I'm not criticizing these new apps. They're doing a, a fantastic thing in principle because they're making it easier to invest and they're making it easier to invest at lower cost. Mm. But making trading as easy as impulse buying on Amazon does come with consequences. And one of those consequences is the suicide last year of uh, a 20-year-old investor and student, Alex Kearns, yeah. who mistakenly believed he'd incurred hundreds of thousands of dollars of losses on one of these apps. He hadn't, but that comes down to not understanding the complexities and implications of the trades that he was making. Right. And I imagine a lot of other people are in a similar situation. Mm. Okay, so far we, we've mostly looked at the negative effects of boredom. 
Uh, but you started the episode saying that boredom is a useful and necessary tool, Matt. Well, yes. So the point I hope that we've made uh, is that our current situation, the confinement, has created this different kind of boredom. And I think the towards the end of last year, we did a show on work from home and productivity. Mm. And the crux of that show was that some people have found that in lockdown, they can actually get their jobs done faster. So some employers are progressive. And they're taking the attitude that it doesn't really matter how long the work takes as long as you get it done and you do it well. Mm. Which reminds me, actually, that uh, we still haven't done the episode on the four-day working week, so I, I have to come back to that. But other employers, if they know you're done for the day, they're just going to give you more work. Right. So cannier employees haven't been letting on that they can get their work done with an hour or two to spare every day. And then when you add to that the saving, uh, that couple of hours that you save that you would have spent getting out of bed, showering, finding clean clothes and commuting to work. Suddenly you have uh, which, an extra half day available. Well, in some cases, the extra time will help to feed the boredom index. But for others, it's been an opportunity to revive other projects that have been on the back burner, yeah. whether it's a side hustle, developing a startup or simply a, a hobby or other activity you haven't had time for. Uh, last night, this is going back to refreshing that that YouTube, uh, last night I watched a disturbing video about people who make super realistic dolls that look like newborn babies. <laughs> so that's a, a combination of side hustle and creative art project. Uh, it's also truly awful. But, uh, you know, they even paint the veins onto the baby's skin and head. What? It's really freaky. What? But you can see this new entrepreneurial creator class all over apps like Clubhouse. And as I said on the Work From Home show last year, we should start to see whether those ideas become anything sometime around the middle of the year as those ideas start to emerge into the summer sunshine. All right, great. But uh, I've got to bring you back to the other topic, the the, the pandemic burn, uh, burnout, because we're, we're running a little bit short of time, Matt. Well, in a way, the burnout is a bit like the flip side of this creative burst. You know, those are the lucky people. They can get their work done and they get to have some free time. Mm. Not everyone is so lucky. They're juggling a lot more. They're homeschooling their kids while they're working. They're trying to keep a, a measure of domestic order in homes that they're spending pretty much 24 hours a day in. They may have bosses who think work from home means work all the time and make demands of them at all times of the, the day and night, expecting instant responses, whether you're queuing at the supermarket, cooking alphabeti spaghetti, or trying to remember what quadratic equations are useful for and why your kids have to be able to use something that you never understood because, you know, that's what calculators and computers are for. So a new scientist piece on pandemic burnout quoted uh, Mark Ormrod, a former Royal Marine who lost both legs and an arm in an explosion while he was serving in Afghanistan. Now, Ormrod told the BBC that homeschooling his two children while also juggling his day job ranked amongst his most traumatic memories. I mean, can you imagine that? Oh. I, I think we sometimes underestimate the pressures that the last year has subjected many people to. Wow. Um, okay. Uh, so what are the signs of pandemic burnout? What, what should people be looking out for? Well, the New Scientist quotes uh, Christina Maslach. She's a psychologist at the University of California, Berkeley. She's the co-developer of a, a widely accepted burnout tool that's been in use for the past few decades. 
Now, burnout occurs when three factors coincide. You get this overwhelming feeling of emotional exhaustion, feelings of cynicism and detachment, and a feeling of a lack of accomplishment, a bit like listening to this show. Uh, You might feel exhausted even after plenty of sleep. You might find yourself emotionally distant from loved ones or no longer caring about jobs that need doing. And we don't know the scale of the problem yet because we don't have comparative studies because this is the first time we've gone through it in 100 years. And of course, because we're still in the middle of it, we're still experiencing it with no clear exit inside. And is there a suggestion that burnout is increasing? Certainly in the New Scientist, they suggest that we are trending in that direction. So while populations overall have weathered the pandemic quite well, That data does hide subgroups that aren't coping as well. Many women, for example, still experience the additional and imbalanced burden of family and domestic duties, probably while their partners are chatting on Clubhouse about their new Sabutio-themed startup. Uh, We're not even close to understanding the long-term impacts that the pandemic has and will continue to have on kids. And worryingly, there's also been an uptick in youth homelessness in some US cities, with kids running away to escape being locked down in abusive family situations. And at the same time, they've been removed from the infrastructural assistance that they might have received from their peers or from oversight by uh, teachers or social services staff. All right. um, I'm going to ask you, uh, without letting you get too dark, how can we spot and uh, potentially reverse some of these burnout indicators? Just join my online seminar for only $999. No, uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, This week, it's actually half price if you use the promo code Bradbury. Um, This is why a burnout and the boredom index intersect so closely, especially that self-destructive side. If you are locked down on your own or with very little contact outside of that significant other, you know, you should be using those digital connection tools to stay in touch with people Mm -hmm. and Do what you can to safely meet other people. Uh, Socially distanced walks or cycles are a great start. You know, any little thing that can help to take the lid off that pressure cooker. And do what you can to manage other people's expectations. Yeah, I think that's key. You know, let bosses and colleagues know that your work messages are not going to be checked after a certain cutoff time. Let family members know that you're going to carve out some time for yourself, even if it's only to watch Taskmaster, like I do. But... Also, don't put enormous expectations on yourself. You know, be reasonable about what you can achieve. If you can manage to be a mediocre member of staff, an adequate parent, and a lackluster gardener all at the same time, you're probably well ahead of the game. You know, we find ourselves in this weird situation where one group of people is so bored that they feel isolated and desperate, and another group is so busy that they feel isolated and desperate. And yet they're both flip sides of these same conditions of boredom and burnout. So, you know, be kind to yourself. And it's not often you'll hear someone as disagreeable as me saying that. Who are you and what have you done with my Armitage? Uh, don't worry, the evil one will be back next week. Great. You've been tuned in to Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9. Of course, you can find Matt on Instagram and Twitter at CultureMatt. You can also head over to culturepop.com for transcripts of these shows and information about CulturePop and its consulting services. If you did miss any part of this show, remember you can have a listen back on the BFM app to the podcast or head over to bfm.my or even on Spotify. 
You've been listening to Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.